Hi, you're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network, produced at 3CR Community Radio on Wurundjeri Country. And I'm Nikki Stott. This week on Earth Matters, we hear part one of a two-part show with anarchist, activist, musician, author and podcaster Margaret Kiljoy. Margaret's the host of a podcast called How to Live Like the World is Dying and is speaking today about the concept of preparedness or prepping from an anarchist perspective. This interview was sourced with thanks from the Anarchist Digital Community Centre. It's going down at itsgoingdown.org. My name is Margaret Kiljoy. I use she or they pronouns and... I do a lot of different projects. I'm a, I've been an anarchist for a long time and I do a lot of different sort of cultural work that ties into that. Probably most relevant to what we're talking about today, I run a individual and community preparedness podcast called Live Like the World is Dying. So Live Like the World is Dying first started right before the pandemic. I, I had been tossing the idea around in my head for maybe about a year because I was doing preparedness stuff and, and stuff that looks like kind of traditional prepping. And I didn't know a lot of other people on the left or anarchists or you know, people who weren't right wing talking about these kinds of things. And it was kind of driving me, me nuts. And I thought about how I knew tons of people who like had all kinds of experience with all kinds of things. And I was like, Oh, I'll just get them to talk about it. One of my favorite formats of a podcast is you find someone who knows more about that you wish you knew about and, and have them talk about it. I live off grid in a, a cabin without particularly good internet access and without, uh, the beginning of the pandemic without any particular electrical access. And so when the pandemic hit and, you know, I chose to self isolate, I wasn't able to continue my podcast, like just as it became really important. And then eventually I, I got enough of my stuff figured out and we kind of understood what was going on with the virus. I, I could figure out what was and wasn't safe and was able to access more electricity and internet and got it started. And, you know, I might interview someone who's like, here's how you treat a gunshot wound at a protest because that's a thing that we have to deal with. Or I might interview someone who came back from Syria to talk about the situation there and what it means to be a revolutionary society uh, or even just what body armor is like, you know, and have I've had on guests who talk about how to make your own medication, like wet chemistry. And based on the crises that we're dealing with at different times, last year a lot of what I was focused on was a little bit more kind of tactical preparedness about um, how to keep ourselves safe, uh, guns and first aid and things like that. And a lot of like protest gear and all of that stuff is relevant and is going to continue to be relevant, but I'm hoping to take a little bit of a breath to, uh, to focus a little bit more in the near future about food and water and kind of more of the basics. How would you define prepping in, in the preppers themselves? You know, it's funny because about half of the guests that I have on are like, I didn't want to do it because you said prepper. And I, I totally get that. You know, the, the connotations of the word prepper, you know, someone who focuses on preparedness are entirely on this, uh, sort of right wing conception of, of preparedness, which I, I would say would be individual preparedness above all else. And also specifically, um, 
one of the things that I like making fun of is the bunker mentality, this idea that like the way to be safe is to gather all of the things you need and surround yourself by concrete under the ground. And this is nonsensical for a thousand reasons, uh, ethically, strategically, economically. It's just a, it's a bad idea. We, we actually need each other. Our best resource that we have in any given bad situation is other people with very few exceptions. It's actually really funny that we got hit with one of the only disaster scenarios where isolating is a, a good idea. Even if in societal collapse, you get together with other people instead of letting all the other people get together with other people while you're off hiding in the woods. And then that means that people are changing society without you and you have no say in it. And that's not a, a good idea. You know, so there's the bunker mentality and there's also this like frontiersman mentality. Both of these things are things that the United States has um, in droves in a very bad way where people are like, oh, when bad things happen, I'm going to run out to the woods and conquer the woods and like build a homestead. And, you know, all of these just really unrealistic, like badly thought out ideas. But preparedness is crucial. Preparedness, the idea of being someone who is prepared or is helping the people around you be prepared is, I mean, it's absolutely essential. For me, it, it, it just part of being alive is you just learn how to not let small things destroy what you're doing, right? That's like when you're actually good at anything, any project, any art, any organizing, any protesting, anything you do, you have to build in being prepared for things to not go exactly as you plan so that small hiccups don't ruin everything. And society, you know, like one of the things that I'm, I'm always saying is that we're all preppers now. You know, uh, I mean, people all over the world have needed to do preparedness for a very long time, but a lot of people, not all of people, but a lot of people in the United States and in the global north have been able to avoid a lot of like needing to be prepared and that's just starting to change um, because of how completely we've destroyed <laughs> um, the earth and and its climate. So when I talk about prepping, I just use it because it's shorthand. You know, people know it. And there's a lot of negative baggage around it. But there's a lot of negative baggage around anarchist. And I'm still really stubborn about that. If I'm feeling like saying it in longhand, I talk about how I... I run an individual and community preparedness podcast rather than a anarchist prepper podcast. And that, you know, I mean, it's also more accurate because the connotations people have for the word prepper are, they come from somewhere, you know, the, the space of preparedness is uh, dominated by that, but it's not as dominated by that as people think from the outside. A lot of the people in preparedness are just, people who are interested in preparedness and so they look up the resources that are available and by and large the resources that are available tend to focus on a bunker mentality and tend to focus on this like fear of the other and all of these um incredibly damaging ideas and one of my favorite types of email i get is i get emails somewhat regularly from people who are like they weren't leftists but they weren't right-wing and they were just interested in preparedness and they were like Oh my God, I'm so glad I found your show because this makes so much sense. And I felt myself being pulled in the direction of this more right wing mentality just because I was interested in keeping my family safe or, or whatever. And 
I have this whole thing. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, like, I, I hate when we cede ground to the right wing. I hate when we like say like, oh, well, that's tainted now. We can't talk. You know, I mean, I play black metal. And a lot of people are like, oh, you can't play black metal. That's like Nazi stuff. And I'm like, the f- it is, you know, they can't have that. Or like people who are like romanticizing pre-industrial life, right? Like Nazis do that too. I mean, they do it falsely. But I'm like, we can't let them have nice things. Nazis don't get to have nice things and they don't get to have preparedness. In your conception, do you feel like there is that sort of rightward shift because so much of what we see in mass media or video games is like, you know, five minutes after the lights out and everybody's like already dividing themselves into groups and who they're going to eat and kill and mm-hmm. dominate? Yeah, and it's like this like cultural meme. I remember once I was literally trapped in an elevator, which is absolutely one of my biggest fears. Claustrophobic person. I was trapped in an elevator at a like a a nerd convention and one of the people in the elevator was like, all right, who are we going to eat first? And, um, and no offense to that person. They're just regurgitating the like humor that's been presented to them. But I mean, the first thing I did is I was like, we're not going to talk about that kind of stuff. We're going to like stay calm and we're like, not going to like, you know, because it's like, I'm freaked out. And there's other people in here are freaked out. We need to just stay calm. And uh, people get together when things go bad and they like, we like worked together. And that's a, a very natural thing that we do, whether it's instinctual or cultural. I'm guessing it's instinctual on some level because the culture always tries to to tell us this isn't what we do. All of this culture we see constantly is like, you know, yeah, as soon as the lights go out, it's mayhem or whatever, right? But I, I think that anyone who studies this stuff seriously or looks at this seriously or even has experienced anything in their own life, like knows on some fundamental level this isn't true. Like one of the one of the ways I like talking about it is like, you know, when you're waiting for the bus, you don't talk to the people around you, at least at least in the kind of culture I grew up in. You don't really talk to strangers until the bus is like five minutes late. And then you and everyone at the bus stop are friends because you're talking about this thing that you're experiencing together. And if, if someone had information, like if someone was like, I just got called from someone and the bus is something, something, you know, it's like we'd all share that. And we would all like and probably literally share food if like, you know, you're sitting at that bus stop and the bus is late and it's really hot out and someone passes out, you're going to give them water and things like that. Whereas if no crisis had happened and someone comes up and is like, Hey, can I get some water? Like you, you might not give water to that stranger, you know? And I think that it's the same problem that anarchists run into. And I, I really try not to be conspiratorial about much of anything, but like this really vested interest in showing that power is necessary you know, and that's like one of the reasons why historically imperialists and authoritarian communists will always, whether actively work together to crush us or like de facto work together to crush us, is because we threaten that. They need us to think that disaster is, tears us apart because <laughs> when people know the truth, we realize that we shouldn't need disaster to just actually do for our own and take care of each other. I find it interesting, though, that like there are so many kind of congruent, maybe parallel uh, subcultures or like micro scenes or movements that kind of like are along the same lines, but like more oriented, like I guess in a quote left direction, like whether it's like permaculture or intentional communities or just kind of even like DIY stuff or mm-hmm. I don't know people that like nerd out about like you know pickling. There seems to be like a lot of overlap. It's like people like trying to like reclaim either skills that they've lost or try to just like gain more autonomy over, you know, how they get their food or their resources. 
Yeah, I mean, that gets into the, like, um, not only is it about organizing to destroy authority, it's also about fixing bicycles and things like that, you know? And I think that almost like the intervention that I'm hoping to do or that I feel like I'm part of or whatever is just trying to remind people that it's like, well, we need to do that and we also need to step it up because we need to also like tie in not just like thriving skills, but also surviving skills, you know? We don't want to like seed kind of like the DIY basic skill space or I don't know, everything from like wild food gathering to like herbal medicine to like the right. Cause I mean, I have mm-hmm. seen, you know, far right groups definitely kind of go in that direction. Just like, you know, a lot of far right groups uh, I've seen over the past year start to do like mutual aid projects. I mean, usually they're mm-hmm. not very well organized or they're nowhere to the scale that like anarchists or other people are doing. But I mean, they do understand that, that that's a powerful thing for them to do and it's something that can like mm-hmm. help their image. And I think that if, you know, we don't kind of like, you know, inhibit that space and really kind of make it vibrant and meaningful for other people that are around us, then other folks are going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And we need to make sure that we're doing it in a like, I mean, I think we have a lot of uh, practices around avoiding gatekeeping within anarchism, but I think we need to step it up in terms of making people feel included so that instead of it being like, here's, Oh, the anarchists are the ones who are going to feed you instead of being like, Oh, we are all going to feed us, and this is an anarchistic process, you know? You're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. Why should people prep and why do they? People prep because... They need to, right? Like on the, on the most fundamental level, I try and say that like, um, like purse snacks or prepping, you know, if you carry around ibuprofen or if you carry around tampons or, you know, any of the things you're carrying around because you might, might need them. That is, that's like on some level prepping, you know, you, you just want to be prepared for contingencies. You know, I, uh, I, I wasn't the only girl in my Boy Scout troop. Several of us came out, but, um, you know, the Boy Scout model of be prepared, you know, really sat with me you go out to the woods and you've got matches and that's great but what if it rains do you have a tarp you know and you live in a house with electricity and that's great but what do you do when the grid is down do you have at least flashlights if not like backup heat you know and just building in contingencies for when things go wrong is the fundamental concept of prepping the triangle preparedness that i like to think about is Gear, skills, and relationships. These are the three sides of prepping from my point of view. Or you could say like resources and, you know, skills and community or there's, there's different ways you could phrase the same ideas. And all of them intersect with each other. All of these are, are very important. And one of the problems that we have with most prepping stuff you'll see is it focuses on gear first, skills second, and relationships third. And they're actually all three equal, but if one of them's more equal than the others, it would be relationships. It's certainly the most underdeveloped one in terms of the literature that exists. But it's one of the ones that is a huge advantage of anyone who's done community organizing, things like that. Because on some level, so like prepping is like having the thing in your pocket is gear, right? Knowing how to use something is, is skills. But then also like 
knowing how to organize people or get help or things like that is, is relationships. And so I like to try and encourage people to think about what they're good at of these things and what they can develop ahead of time and play to their strengths. Like if you are, if you've got a tech job and you make good money, but you're just a real introvert and like you don't have time to learn a lot of skills, then be someone who gathers resources, you know, or if you're like a community organizer and that's your thing, or even if like you throw parties all the time and that's your thing, like maybe focusing on relationships, like kind of keep track of who's around you and like who's prepared for what and like, and think about how you can connect people to what they might need. One of the most important things people can do in a crisis, I think, and I think is like the anarchist response in crisis is not showing up with all the socks and all the food, although that's great, but showing up with an idea of how we can organize each other collectively, right? Like if you're ever in a situation that suddenly finds itself leaderless, I've been in like social situations like this, right? Where you have like a bunch of strangers at a writing workshop and there's like no one in charge. And you're like, well, what do we do? Like, how do we hang out? Who's going to break the ice? Like be the person to break the ice. But not only that, be the person who's like in charge to make no one in charge, like present the idea of like, here's a way we can all make these decisions together collectively. And like, because people, when there's a power vacuum, people are looking not for like a strong man to come in and lead them, but for someone to suggest a way of doing things. And that way of doing things can be, I'm in charge, don't question my orders. Or it can be, let's all like figure out what we all want, what our strengths and weaknesses are, how do we move forward? And I've, I've seen that happen. And I think anarchists did that in the Occupy movement very uh, effectively where, you know, all these people were like, I think we should all get together and figure things out, but we don't know how. And then it's like, you know, all the experienced consensus organizers in the country, not all of them, but huge chunk of the experienced consensus organizers in this country are anarchists and they come in. And even if it's not an anarchist project, they will help people organize anarchistically. And so I, th I think that that's a in incredibly useful thing to focus on and then there's skills and then the other thing about prepping is people focus way too much on like surviving in the woods is what preparedness is and that is like pretty unlikely i really like to think about self community and society so to talk about scale of things right like so let's say you're talking about water on a on a small scale Maybe you have a ceramic water filter, or maybe you even just have bleach and a dropper. And I don't remember off the top of my head the number of drops per quarts of water, but you can use bleach to kill bacteria, and you should look it up before you do it. And, you know, that's your, like, immediate thing, right? But then most community preparedness people, which is more of, like, the left's approach to um, to prepping is, like, usually not in the bunker thing, but more, like, almost like the homestead level, which is also great, but also limited will be like, how do we set up large rainfall catchment? And how do we, you know, divert this creek or this river in order to provide water for the people who live here? And that's also really great. But people also forget about the, the society-wide level, which is also vital, where it's like, okay, we've got that figured out. Now, how do you get water to communities outside your own immediate community? or your larger community, you know, and how do you organize, like, you know, you can, you can organize yourself to refuse authority and you can organize your community to be resistant to it. But you, we also need to organize society to be resistant to authority. You know, it's like, uh, so we also need revolution. 
people that are listening to this, what are some things that they could do to like begin prepping that may, that would make sense? The disasters we're seeing unfolding right now, we've got like hurricanes, we have wildfires and like heat waves. What are some things that you're seeing play out right now that you think people should actively be preparing for or gathering supplies? And, and what would that look like? When you prepare, there's certain stuff that's like just always worth having, right? It is always worth having an emergency blanket, a lighter, some stockpiled food, some stockpiled water, ways of filtering water. If you are personally comfortable with like having any experience with any kind of like hunting or fishing or gathering, the like skill, the the tools with which to do that. There's certain things that I, I would really recommend everyone have, and I'll, I'll get into those more in a second. But instead, basically be like, well, I'm prepping for fire, or I'm prepping for authoritarian takeover, or you know, increasing takeover, or whatever. Or I'm preparing for flooding and hurricanes. You know, you're going to have different things. And with fire, you know, a lot of the things are, you know, again, it's going to depend on where you live, right? But a lot of things are around like clearing the area around your house, uh, making sure that you have a lot of water on hand. There's a lot of specifics actually that an anarchist wilderness firefighter goes into on the podcast from last summer, which I won't remember all of exactly. So I don't want to like give anyone wrong information, but there's like simple stuff like treat your gas tank half empty, meaning empty. So you always fill your gas tank before it's half empty. So that way you always have enough gas for an evacuation. When fires are closer, you also are going to point your car out of the driveway if you know, you're in a space of the driveway and things like that. Um, knowing who's around you and what they would need in emergency. Like, do you like need mobility assistance? Does your neighbor need mobility assistance? How are you going to talk to them and provide that for them when that happens? You know, like maybe preparedness looks like the next vehicle you get is a, um, a wheelchair accessible van, you know, or like just start thinking about preparedness in terms of the other things you do. Like when you pick a vehicle, you know, there's, there's pros and cons to any type of vehicle. Like in a lot of situations, a plain old boring sedan with a locking trunk is like really useful. You know, in other situations, you want to pick up truck, but maybe it gets terrible mileage. Like, you know, and, and if you're worried about access to gas, that's going to be a problem. So there's always going to be like balances, but there's also some stuff that's like, and then so there's like skills that are worth having, right? It's always worth having more first aid skills. It's also always worth developing, you know, like be a lifelong learner. Like, do you already know how to drive a car? That's great. Do you know how to ride a motorcycle? Do you know how to do evasive driving in a car? Do you know how to drive heavy equipment? There's times where people have had to take bulldozers and clear the road because everyone abandoned their vehicles in the middle of the road and no one could get out of the town as a wildfire was approaching or whatever. But overall, I think the thing that I really want people to do is look at the things that they use in their day-to-day life and how they would get by without access to those for a week and how they can mitigate that. You know, there's some stuff where it's like, yeah, there's a wildfire need to evacuate. That's what you got to do, right? But there's other stuff where it's like, well, maybe there's a wildfire the next town over and you can't go outside because of the smoke or, you know, the food chain has been disrupted a little bit and you can't get toilet paper. So just have some toilet paper around ahead of time, you know, and get the stuff before it's necessary. It's, we're coming up on crisis time in terms of fire out west, but I believe that 
box fans and air filters and things like that are still reasonably readily accessible. And get a half mask respirator or get a full face gas mask. You know, and, and ideally you want P100 filters uh, that filter out 100% of particulates and um, are oil proof. Although I'm actually not personally certain how important the oil proof is for for wildfire smoke. It's not something that I've had to deal with nearly as much as a lot of other people I know. Get all that stuff now while you still can and get it. One of the reasons that you get this stuff, because, you know, I'm like, well, I talk about community preparedness. What's the point of having the individual preparedness? The point is that you have it so that you don't need someone else to give it to you in the time of crisis so that you can step up better. If you are already taken care of for yourself, it's applying your own gas mask before you apply other people's, but still being there to apply other people's mask to use that tired airplane metaphor. One of the main points of prepping is to worry less, not more. It's like really easy to start getting fixated on all these things that can go wrong and just start freaking out about them. But if you look, look at a likely problem and you do kind of the best you can to solve it ahead of time, you can trick your brain into forgetting about that problem. It's, it's not some people can do that more easily than others, but you can trick your brain into being like, like I have, if there's a wildfire in the forest I'm in, I have my bag ready to go that I will take with me and leave. So I should stop worrying about forest fire now because there's nothing else realistically that I can do because I'm not going to clear a hundred yards around my cabin in every direction. You know, that goes into our next question. I mean, people hear a lot about uh, go bags or bug out bags. I, I have a go bag. I think go bags are a little bit of an overrated concept of them prepping. They're worth having, especially actually out west where fires are a very serious concern. Overall, your home, for most people who have permanent shelter, your home is going to be your best place to like bug out to, to run away to. You don't run away in most scenarios. You actually stay home, shelter in place. Or even if it's like, well, if your electricity is off, the water is off, etc., you could easily keep five-gallon jerry cans of water, and you can scale things based on your need. But if you're going around in a backpack, you're probably only going to have a couple quarts of water. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. This week on the show, we heard part one of a two-part show with anarchist podcaster Margaret Kiljoy on the topic of anarchist prepping. And you can check out Margaret's podcast at liveliketheworldisdying.com. And today's interview was sourced with thanks from Anarchist Digital Community Centre. It's going down at itsgoingdown.org. And if you missed part of today's show or you want to check out part one of this episode, you can find our podcast at 3cr.org.au forward slash earthmatters. And if you're already listening via a podcasting service, why not rate us and or give us a review to help spread the word. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their generous support and the Community Radio Network for all their hard work in getting this show out to you. Earth Matters is produced at 3CR Community Radio in Fitzroy Nam, and we can be contacted at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com. And you can also find us on your socials. That's all for today, but don't forget, tune in next week for more environmental justice stories.
Melbourne, I found a Food Not Bombs fly on the road and I had like this fist with a carrot and carrots are my favorite vegetable. Yeah, I think they were asking for help doing stuff and I got in touch. We, I guess, rescue food. That would otherwise go to waste. I like the aspect of sharing food and um, not making anyone feel obligated to pay anything for it. We make a real point at Food Not Bombs of involving everyone who wants to be involved in whichever part they want to be involved in. For more information, go to fnbmelb.noblogs.org. Food Not Bombs is the 3CR supporter. There are many ways that you can keep up to date with 3CR news, events and programs. The 3CR website is a great spot to catch all your shows via audio on demand or scroll through our range of podcasts. It's also where you can sign up to our monthly newsletter, buy yourself a new t-shirt or check out archival audio from past broadcasts. Of course, we're also on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. But don't forget our mighty AM band. Catch us anytime on 855 AM. Keep in touch. 3cr.org.au